Hello, this is Aaron Saft and the MR Running Pains podcast, episode number 88. Um, today I have with me a returning guest. His name is Jason Hardreth, and Jason uh, has just completed 100 FKTs, and his 100th was a humdinger. It was pretty dang amazing. Uh, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, in all honesty, I was really nervous about this conversation because Jason was going to talk a lot about uh, climbing and um, definitely is one of those things that I do not really have much of a background on in climbing and the uh, the vocabulary and the vernacular that they use. Um, but it actually made for a great conversation because I learned a ton about um, you know what what uh, the different ratings are and uh, some of the different terms that they use. So, you know, I actually really enjoyed this conversation. We, uh, we went a different direction than I, I really thought we would. So um, what, a, what a great conversation. Congrats to Jason on uh, an amazing accomplishment. He was the first person to 100 FKTs on the uh, Fastest Known Time website. Um, and, I mean, he's just done so much and experienced so much. Um, a great guest, uh, really enjoyed him, thank him for his time, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Well, as I said in my intro, I am welcoming back Jason. How are you, sir? Uh, it's a pleasure to be back. Uh, yeah, had some fun adventures. I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. I'm sure you've had many since the last time we've talked. So, um, yeah, I mean, let's, uh, let's start with just you. Um, some, of your, um, some of the people might not know who you are yet. Um, and I suggest you go back and listen to our, our previous episode, which I'll put a, a note in the show notes about. Um, but yeah, please, Jason, go ahead and tell us about yourself, what you do, who you are, where you are, what you've done, <laughs> all that good stuff. Absolutely. I'm on my lunch break here at Bonanza Elementary in a little town called Bonanza, Oregon in uh, South and South, well, South Central Oregon. Um, and yeah, I'm uh, just recently finished up a huge project. I've been, well, a couple of big projects, really. I've had this long-term project of getting a hundred different fastest known times, um, which for those who don't know what those are, a fastest known time is basically an established route that you use photo evidence and GPS tracking to try to break the record on, sort of like a course record on, say, a race course. Um, and there's a whole website, fastestknowntime.com, that has like guidelines and verification and all that that you run your data through. Um, and I've been chasing along to be the first person to get to 100 of these uh, fastest known time records. And for my 100th record, I climbed the 100 tallest peaks of the state of Washington, known as the Bulgers List. Um, so yeah, 100 peaks for the 100th FKT, decided to swing for the fences. Um, an absolutely insane list of peaks with uh, lots of bushwhacking. And for those who don't know, the state of Washington is the only temperate rainforest. Um, so it's thick, heinous bushwhacking um, where sometimes you can't even see a few feet in front of you. Um, and then there's glacier travel, obviously, in, in those mountains. Um, some, some minorly technical glacier travel, you know, navigating crevasses and not getting yourself stuck. Um, and then a lot of fourth and fifth class terrain um, to climb on, uh, sometimes on loose or chassis rock. And yeah, so it was a big undertaking um, and no one had ever attempted to push the entire list out in a single season before. It had kind of been this like, oh man, these are, you know, in Colorado, you can do the centennials. That's a, that's a different thing. But here in the, here in the Pacific Northwest, these are just like 
too dangerous, too much risk, too much logistics, fires break out, you know, all this different stuff. Why, you know, perhaps it can't be done. Um, and, uh, yeah, became just sort of enamored with the idea of giving it a, giving it a solid go and seeing what would happen. And, uh, well, I guess I'm here on the other side of it, <laughs> <laughs> which is great to see. Um, now you said you want, you were going after being the first person who was the next closest to you. The next closest person is a guy in the UK. Um, and he is at 98 currently, his name is David bone. Um, he's been knocking out a bunch of their historic walks and, and routes that go through the country. Um, you know, some of them, some of them as short as an hour, some of them as long as five or six hours. Um, it's been cool to see him put those together since there is a lot of history there. Um, but yeah, two very different, uh, 100 lists. Um, and he'll, he, he should, I think he's just did a big race and he's going to take a bit off, but then he'll finish up his last two here before the end of the year. So we'll have two people who've done a hundred. And just so people, um, understand, uh, there's a rule for um, going after an FKT, which is it, is it's 50% has to be by foot or is it more than that? Like, uh, so 50, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 50% by foot. So you can have some multi-sport efforts that get in there. Um, some classics are like the, um, Long's peak, uh, triathlon, which involves biking and rock climbing and running. Um, there's the grand Teton picnic, uh, which involves biking and swimming and climbing on the grand Teton, which is a mix of scrambling and running. Um, yeah. So there's a variety. There's some like, uh, the rim to rim to rim alt on the grand Canyon, not the main rim to rim to rim, but the alternate route involves swimming the, um, Colorado river at the bottom of the Canyon. Cause there's no bridge on the bass trail system. So it really opens up some possibilities, but they, what they don't want is stuff to be like, Oh yeah, it's primarily a bike record or primarily a swimming record or primarily primarily a skiing record for example they want it to mostly be on foot style travel and there's there's also a set distance too which i mean we could go to fkt.com and see but isn't there also in order for it to become an fkt there's supposed to be an established distance yeah uh so basically they set this five mile rule it's like probably you're you're going to be hard pressed not that it's not possible i have one of my routes that got accepted is a is a two mile canyon loop record in in slot canyons in utah but it's such a classic two mile canyon loop that it's like oh this absolutely is kind of like a all-out sprint type obstacle course canyon run um so it's like if you can prove that there's a history and that it's classic and that people are going to be in love with it. Sometimes shorter ones will get accepted, but the baseline is kind of like, well, usually it should be at least five miles in order to not just be a Strava segment or something. Right. Right. Uh, with, with that key being that other people would be interested in doing it. <laughs> that is the super key part. <laughs> That's cool. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit more about the, uh, the hundred peaks. That's, I mean, um, give us a, an idea of what are the elevations between, let's say, you know, the, the smallest peak and the largest peak. Oh, absolutely. Um, so the shortest peaks came in at 8,320 feet. And there's a couple of them tied at the bottom of the list there. Uh, Tupshin and Flora were those two peaks. So 8,320 feet there at the bottom end. Um, and then at the top end, you've got Rainier at 14,450. 40. I mean, you get 
different numbers from different people, but 441, I think is the common one that's accepted right now. Um, so pretty wide range in the height of the mountains. And then the Northern Cascades are some of the most rugged, steep, um, mountain ranges, um, and, and sets of peaks, uh, in the country. And then you've also got these big volcanoes, um, that run along the Western side as well. So like Rainier, um, Adams, St. Helens. So it's like, you've got these different styles of climbing as well, um, that are all apart, all wrapped up in this one list of 100. So you're, you're trying to bag a hundred different peaks. What constitutes, um, the route itself? Is there a, a set route or is it, you know, you, you know, determine whatever trailhead you start at, as long as you tag the summit? Absolutely. Um, so there's a, a, with these peak bagging type records, there's a great deal of freedom to how you're allowed to move between them. Since a lot of the, uh, let me think here, only four of the peaks had trails that actually went up to the top out of, <laughs> out of the hundred, the rest involve route finding and looking for the, you know, the gullies and the, the terrain that previous climbers have made it up and like reading through different descriptions and being like, Oh, this is probably the one I want to get up. And this is probably the one I want to get down. And then deciding like how you want to link peaks up and finding out, you know, from previous, you know, trip reports and talking with other climbers, like, okay, these three peaks link well, but don't try to go to this fourth one because it's gonna, it's such slow moving terrain and dangerous terrain that you're going to waste time and risk your life. So it's like a lot of forethought and front end planning has to go into something like this to sure. know like, okay, these three peaks go efficiently, but then come at this fourth one that looks like it's close from the other side with two others that are over there. Um, so lots of, lots of decision-making like that on the front end. And how does the, the, is it just a, um, a total accumulation of time that it took you from, you know, wherever you started to the, the peak, um, that goes into the, the FKT, um, does it include the descent? How does that work? Yeah. So the, the established method for these, uh, peak bagging lists. Uh, Colorado has a few, obviously everybody's heard of the 58 14ers in Colorado. And then there's the Colorado Centennial. So Colorado's 100 tallest. Then here's the Bulgers. There's some in Wyoming. There's some in Montana, some in Idaho. Um, basically it's from the first step away from the first trailhead, your time starts. And when you take the final step and tag the final trailhead after the last peak, the time ends. Okay. So everything in between the clock is running. Oh, if you wow. need a nap, the clock is running. If you need to eat, the clock is running. <laughs> um, yeah, it makes it really interesting to make decisions um, for, for a prolonged period of time. And, and so did you just stay out? Because, I mean, obviously you're, you're a teacher. So um, talk about your timeline. How did that work out? Well, I had to plan, um, this actually went into the planning a huge amount. I started planning about six months ahead of time. Um, you know, like I said, mapping things out, talking with previous climbers to see what, what connections go well and what don't, um, because I had to find out whether it was possible to fit this in a scholastic summer. I have a, I have a summer as a teacher, you know, just like we all did when we were kids of about 80 days. And so I needed to know that these hundred peaks could go in under that 80 days with enough of a, a margin for error that it felt reasonable to take the risk and invest the time. Um, and yeah, as I did the planning, it seemed like 50 days was a, was a possible timeline. And that gave me plenty of wiggle room for if a fire happened or, you know, one of the boats I needed to use was like shut down for whatever reason. 
um, a variety of logistical things um, that I could work around it and still finish before I had to be back at school. So talk about the the boats for for a moment. You had to go on uh, and figure out uh, how to get to, I guess, more remote peaks. So you were taking uh, ferries and such. Uh, yeah, for the what I refer to as the Chilean group or the Stahican group, um, you basically do you you take a three hour boat ride in, and then you beg about seven different peaks while you're in the back country in that area. Um, and then you have to catch the boat back out. Um, so yeah, you kind of have to coordinate your timeline to be like, okay, which day am I going to catch the boat? Cause the boat leaves at a certain time. And it's like, if you either you're there and you're on the boat or you lose a whole day. Um, and that one was really interesting to coordinate with. Um, one of the, one of the list logistical challenges of the whole thing was to make sure that didn't end up losing me a day. Um, and then because some of these peaks are so hard to get to, uh, for the Chilliwacks, they're up near Canada. And actually the easiest way to get into them is to cross into Canada, drive around to a trailhead on the Canadian side, and then walk back into the United States to get at them from the North. Cause that is the easiest route. The other routes are super heinous day long bushwhacks, just fighting for your life through, you know, like I said, sometimes you can't even see three feet in front of you. Um, and because Canada was closed at the time I was doing this record, I had to come in through the Silver Creek side, which involved a 40-mile boat ride um, and being dropped off at a mouth of a canyon and then bushwhacking for 7.5 miles. And that 7.5 miles took uh, 11 hours and 30 minutes to cover. Um, yeah, you can, you can think about that. And normally I can run a, a mile in five minutes and 30 seconds. And here it is taking half of a day to yeah. cover seven and a half miles. Like you don't have an appreciation for trails, even poorly built, poorly maintained trails until you've tried to bushwhack in, <laughs> in Washington. Like you're like, Oh my goodness. Even the worst trail I've ever been on is so much faster than this. <laughs> uh, did, um, did any of these require permitting? Uh, yes. Uh, so when you're in the North Cascades national park, uh, there's permitting for some of the areas there. Um, some of it's pretty hard to get permits for. So that was a big crux as far as a permitting crux was making sure. And I, I got, I got a bit lucky in that regard because one of the roads, uh, to, that was like to the most popular area had some washout and tree fall. And so the road was closed part way up. And so a bunch of people who had gotten permits were like, well, if we're going to have to walk that extra, we're not going to go. And so I was able to get a permit for a really hard to get to area up near the Sahali Glacier, which was a huge windfall for, for uh, efficiency um, and not having to hike extra miles out and then extra miles back in to get to the same spot. Um, it made it possible to just stay in. Um, so that was a huge crux that came together and kind of a... Um, you know, unfortunate, fortunate way, you know, as those go, it was extra miles to, to walk, to get in, but then not having to come back out was nice. Um, so that one, and then obviously you need permits to climb Rainier and you need permits to climb St. Helens. And that was a matter of like, okay, as I get close to the day, I need to be there. I need to procure a walk-up permit or with St. Helens. It's, uh, when, when people cancel, they push them back into the system. And so about two weeks out, you can see them open up and definitely had some people like looking out for me as I was busy climbing, like when uh, permits would pop up on the day, like near the day I should be finishing. 
uh, I had some friends who were like, Oh, I got you a permit for the day. You're going to be there. Yes. <laughs> um, so it was, it was awesome. Very cool. Gosh. And, um, so, you know, when we talk about FKTs, we always talk about supported versus unsupported. How did this one classify? This one, I, this one went supported. I mean, I could have potentially done it self-supported because I could have just driven myself and soloed all the peaks, um, which would have been taking a huge amount of risk, um, especially on some of the glacier travel. Um, and one of the things at the beginning of this, when people started agreeing to help me plan it out, they had this concern. Very many people, they'd lost a beloved uh, young climber, um, Jake Robinson, um, to a tragic accident. He was unroped on a glacier and fell through. Um, and so there was this huge hesitation, right, in the community to, to help me. Like, oh, is this guy just going to go out and take wanton risks and get himself killed? And then I'll have been a part of someone dying, right? There's like that. Nobody wants to do that. Um, and so I had to like assure them, like, no, I am going to, I am going to travel in safe manners. I'm going to rope up when I'm on, on these glaciers with crevasses. Um, and so it would have felt disrespectful to then be like, oh yeah, now I'm soloing. Um, and I think it would have, you know, put a, put a bad taste in the mouth of people who helped me in the community at large, right. To disregard safety after they'd lost someone. So, so loved. Um, so I chose to go full supported and that way I could rotate out climbing partners that I had. I could have, you know, my girlfriend who wanted to be a part of it, like drive. And, you know, sometimes very frequently, actually, she would like hike a camp in to different points. So I could like bag five peaks and drop to a trail and camp would be right there instead of having to do like 10 miles back out to the car and then 10 miles back in the next morning um, and just kind of resupply the next day and take off for another like four or five peaks right from there. Um, which was a huge part with how remote these peaks are of bringing the whole project together. Um, because there were so many places, a person that didn't do it in that style would have to do the extra 20 miles regularly. Um, and so I made the decision like, okay, no one's tried to do these peaks in a true FKT style pushing, like not going home until they're done. And it's like, I want to, I want to do this in a way to show people what's possible here, which means every possible way I can do the logistics to be more efficient, I'm going to try to do it. And there were a couple of times where, because my girlfriend had to leave, she's a guide. Um, she had to leave and go guide a trip. Like I would have to hike out and then hike back in to resupply myself. So there were a few days that were, that were like that, that were less efficient. Um, but for the most part, I think it was a very dialed execution that I'm very proud of um, for this set of peaks to show people what can be done. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, just so folks um, get a little bit more understanding and background from you, um, we talked about, about it a bit in our last podcast, but talk about your experience with like mountaineering, climbing, um, you know, uh, um, ice wall climbing, all that stuff, um, just so they understand, you know, you aren't just somebody that just went out and was like, I'm going to do this. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, this is not a casual trail run. Um, a lot of these peak lists involve, uh, even though, you know, the ones in Colorado have some you know, fourth and fifth class climbing. And for people who don't know what that is, um, you know, class one is you're walking on an established flat, easy trail. Class two is hiking like steep incline, maybe a little scrambling. You're probably not having to put your hands down, but some people might want to on class two. Class three, most people are putting their hands down here and there, stepping between boulders, climbing up small, like, you know, steps and obstacles. Um, some people at this point are going to want to rope up. Like it's enough exposure 
Um, a shortfall could be possible. It's kind of, it could be hospital terrain, um, like injury terrain. Like if you mess up, you, you could end up in the hospital. You're not going to end up dead though. It's not that type of exposure, that type of terrain. Class four is where you're kind of crossing into that. It's steep enough and there's enough angle that a fall could potentially uh, be lethal um, or at least very serious injury. Um, and then class five is full on. Usually everybody's roped up. Um, it's not for beginners that are inexperienced. Any fall from a class five train is definitely um, fatal or like it, if you're, if it's not fatal, it's because you got lucky. Um, so that's kind of the, the rough classifications. And then obviously anybody that's a rock climber knows those fifth class goes up to like five, one, five, two, five, three, up all the way to, you know, you watch videos about Adam Andra climbing five fifteen on these tiny razor holds making big reachy moves. So fifth class has quite a bit of, uh, variability to it. It can be juggy holds, or it can be very difficult movements, very powerful movements. Um, but either way, fifth class, the bottom end of fifth class is that if you make a mistake, uh, it's lethal unless you have a rope for protection. Um, so that's kind of a, a rough, rough overview. And, and I've spent a ton of time uh, practicing on rock, uh, building my skills up, building the strength, finger hanging, pull-ups, you know, all, all that type of training, plus doing the footwork knowing how to navigate and manipulate my body in different positions. Um, and yeah, being on these, even, you know, even fourth class terrain is definitely not recommended if you haven't taken the time to do that. And this, this route is full of fourth class and fifth class summit pinnacles. Um, and yeah, then on top of that, uh, I'm a, I'm a professional mountain guide for Shasta mountain guides. And we do a lot of glacier travel and a lot of snow travel, knowing how to arrest a fall. If your feet slip out from under you, knowing how to properly use crampons, um, using your ice axe, um, you know, any of those things on any of these glaciers, not being able to properly arrest a fall, especially, um, you know, would result in, in death, or at least at the very, very lowest end, like you're going to need search and rescue to come pull you out of a a crevasse if you're able to get a signal out with your your spot device or your um your garmin like uh sos device um so it's like there's some very very serious very consequential um terrain in, in these things and it's not to be taken lightly the only reason i felt comfortable entering into this is i've spent years and years and years honing not only the physical skills but also like the mental calm, like a foot pops loose while I'm, you know, climbing, I don't lose my composure. It's like, yeah, okay. That happened. You know, find, find better footing, move the hands. Okay. keep going. Um, able, able to like keep that head pulled in, um, even in spaces that are, are risky or, or, or at least consequential. Um, I think, you know, in a way you reduce, you reduce the risk by improving your skills and improving your performance and improving your fitness. Cause you can not worry about like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, gas out and be tired. And now I'm not strong enough to make the moves. It's like, that's, I've removed that from the equation. Um, so what's left is the consequence if something out of my control happens. Um, so a rock comes down from above and hits me. It's, you know, high consequence terrain still, even if the risk is fairly low of that actually happening. And how did that work out with a partner? Um, you know, I can imagine you're, you know, you're already worried about yourself enough and now you've got somebody else. Now, 
while that does bring in, you know, the, the safety of having somebody with you, it also, you know, increases chances that something could happen and, you know, it puts the whole project at risk for, for shutting down. So talk about that a bit. Absolutely. Um, kind of a windfall of this whole thing was a, a young fella, 21 years old, named uh, Nathan Longhurst. Um, he joined me on day one. He had, he'd actually messaged me about a different one of my records, the Rainier Infinity Loop, because he wanted to attempt to, to beat my record on that on that well-established route on Mount Rainier. And, you know, I, I, I'm the type of person, like, I want to lift people up. I want to help as long as you can show that you're a capable, like, evidence to me that it's like you're a capable person and you're putting thought into it. I'm going to help. Um, you know, if it seems like the person has no clue what they're doing, I'm going to probably give them the voice of caution. Um, but if a person's like put in the time, built the fitness has put in their research and they want me to help refine it, like I'm absolutely going to. So I, I like talked him through like, oh yeah, this, it looks like you're doing this well. You could think about this this way. Um, I think you could go under 48 hours on this thing and be the first person to do sub two days. Um, and then he's like, well, what are you up to? And I'm like, well, I'm going to start this big project. And so he jumps in on day one and day one was one of those like low consequence days. It was a huge 47 mile push with like 14,000 feet of gain, like a huge ultra endurance day, but none of the peaks were highly technical. And so I was like, yeah, I'm comfortable with that. If, if the kid, you know, doesn't feel good or can't handle the mileage, he can just turn around and go back to his car and I don't have to worry about him. He doesn't have to worry about me. Like, that's great. We ended up having a great day together, like an awesome day on, on that big, big first push ended up being out there like 22 hours into darkness together. Um, just had a good time, really jammed. Um, and we ended up climbing by the end of the project, 65 different peaks together. And it was really cool because he, we had very similar risk tolerances. So we, we had a similar sort of instincts for, yeah, let's pull the rope out here or for this section, like, especially rock climbing, both of us, he's a 513 climber for those who know uh, rock climbing. That's really hard. Those are, those are very hard climbs. Um, and so he was super comfortable on rock. And I'm, I'm, even though I'm not a, I'm like a 510D climber at best, I, my like capacity for fifth class terrain feeling comfortable, um, is very high compared to my, my top end grade when I'm on a rope. And so oftentimes we would fly through fourth and fifth class, easy fifth class terrain and not even pull the rope out. Cause we both just felt really confident. Um, but on the glaciers, it was super great to be able to pull the rope out and, and know that it's like, okay, if one of us takes a slip, there's the other guy can catch it to keep us from going into a crevasse. Um, so it was really nice. And we did rope up on almost every glacier section when we were together. Um, and yeah, having a partner like that, um, also we established this sort of communication and just established I guess, methodology, if you will, when we were on loose fourth class terrain and loose third class terrain, where you're going to knock rocks loose, no matter what you do. Um, like in order to not ro knock a, a rock loose, you'd have to move so excruciatingly slow and you'd still probably knock a few down. So we got into this rhythm where we would either stay super close. And this is key for anybody that wants to move in this type of terrain, stay super close to each other where any rock we knocked loose wouldn't have a chance to accelerate to a lethal force, a lethal impact force. Um, so it's like, oh yeah, if you knocked a rock on my foot, but it just like rolled one turn and then hit my foot. It's like, ow, that hurt, but not, not going to put me in the hospital. We'd stay super close like that. Or we would, uh, if we could see two goalies with some kind of a dividing feature in the rock um, between them, we could both sort of hop 
into those different fall zones. And this is really important to think about whether you're on snow or ice or rock um, is what's in your fall zone. So wh where, where are objects I knock loose or things I drop going to get funneled as they fall? And so we were both very good at like, oh, we can break out into these two separate goalies or just on the other side of a ridge from each other where we can still communicate back and forth, but that way we can both not worry about knocking rocks on each other and just move quickly. Um, we do that. Or if there were sections that it's like, okay, there's only one funnel down this mountain and there's a lot of loose stuff. We would let the other one go first, get all the way through and then break off and hide behind like a feature or an object or a boulder. And then the other one goes through. So that way they're shielded, um, as stuff gets knocked loose. And so you definitely want to get into a rhythm with your partner. If you're going to climb peaks like this, where it's like, okay, what are we doing in this situation? What needs to happen here? If there's only one funnel through, let's take turns. If, um, we're going to, you know, go down and there's some loose stuff, but we want to keep moving quick and it's not too dangerous, then we can stay close. Or if there's multiple ways down, let's break out into separate fall zones. Um, some, some, I would say essential advice for working with a partner in these, uh, chassis third class, fourth class situations. How did you, um, how did you, I mean, I'm sure you came to some climbs where you were just like, you know, this might be above, above my skill set. Um, but maybe in planning, you kind of, I guess in planning, is that the way it happens in planning? You're like, well, this might be above my skill set. Why don't we choose this route instead? Oh, absolutely. Um, since I was obviously trying to plan this thing for efficiency, um, I, I chose routes and there, I mean, there are some crux problems like on Dorado needle, there's a five, nine sort of like boulder problem move. It's like two moves and then you're over it, but it's a, it goes at about a five, nine grade, which is usually about two grades above what I would let myself do any sort of like soloing off of a rope on, but because it was a two move boulder problem, it was like, yeah, okay. The, you know, as long as you don't take a really bad fall, like push yourself off the wrong way and fall off the side of the mountain. As long as you just step back down to the platform you're on, like for the most part, pretty low, pretty low consequence, uh, like not being able to do the move. So it's like, okay, we'll launch into that. And if I need help, like we can partner boost each other over the problem, um, which is what most people do on that mountain. I wanted to solve the problem just for the feeling of like, yeah, I conquered, I conquered every move at this mountain myself. Um, but a lot of people just partner boost each other up over it. Um, but yeah, so there were unavoidable things like that. Like there's no other way up that mountain that's easier. Um, but then a lot of times the, the rock climbing stayed, which is wild to me when I think back about a hundred different peaks and all of the peaks had a way to the top that was basically five, six or easier. And I usually, my, my maximum grade for not wanting to like put in protection and be on a rope is usually about five, seven is where I'm like some types of five, seven. Um, it's like, yeah, this feels fine for me. And other types of five, seven, it's like, nope, absolutely not. Would never consider climbing this out without full protection, um, climbing shoes, rope. Um, and so that's kind of like the grade where it goes back and forth and everything except the Dorado needle had some way up that was, you know, five, 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 four, five, six, um, which is still to me, to this day, it's wild to think about. Um, but again, most people, a lot of people are going to want to rope up on fourth class terrain. So, um, definitely something, definitely something to keep in mind. Man. 
Uh, what else? I mean, you know, we've got all these you know, dangers from climbing and, and ice, but I mean, I'm sure there were other dangers that you, you faced along the way. Can you talk about some of the, those that you might have encountered or were um, definitely on your mind? <laughs> I mean, a simple one that pops in my head is one morning, like you're, you're pushing out these huge days, you know, 15 hours of movement, 12 hours of movement, 22 hours of movement. And I came into a morning just kind of like groggy and just like, okay, let's like march while half asleep up this trail. It was a section that actually had a trail. Um, and I'm just like marching up this trail, like half asleep. And I look up as I hear something move and it's a bear that's like 30 feet away from me. And luckily it had gotten startled and decided to run. Cause I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> um, and it was just kind of like that. Oh, like wake up, dude. Like just cause you're on a trail doesn't mean you can have your brain off. There's more than one way to die out here. <laughs> um, so that one was a wild one. Um, then, I mean, the thing about like this terrain is because of all the features, the different ridge lines and, and moraines coming off these different mountains, the North Cascades can be really difficult to navigate. Like you feel like you're going the right direction or you feel like you're close or you feel like, oh, I should go downhill for this section or I should go uphill for this section. And it's very fooling. Like you can, you can end up climbing 2000 feet that you didn't need to climb and just have to descend that 2000 feet to get to the proper goalie where then you have to climb that 2000 feet back up again. It's, it's like very difficult terrain to navigate. And on top of that, you have to remember anytime you're subalpine, you're in that temperate rainforest where you can't just see where you want to go. You can't just go, Oh yeah, there's a peak on the horizon. I'm walking toward it. Um, you have to be able to understand orienteering and navigation and you have to be able to, you know, use a compass, you know, and, and I used a lot of GPS. I was able to use GPS, um, to, to navigate, but like having those skill sets where, you know, if you were out there and something went wrong, you could still navigate, whether it's your device dying or getting broken, you know, cause a rock hits it, um, or, you know, uh, you get injured and you, you, you're out there longer than the battery life of your device. You've got to have other methods for, for knowing where you are and how to get around, even if you can't see. Um, so it's like, these are all pieces of the puzzle, um, that, that, make something like this even possible to consider. Um, so yeah, uh, I would, you know, another, another skill set for people to, to look into orienteering, um, using, using various technologies. I mean, GPS watches have gotten phenomenal these days. They've got maps and topo lines and you can load routes into them. Um, so, I mean, you can, you can reference your wrist and, you know, 90% of the time now, that's enough to keep you moving and moving efficiently. And they've got, you know, you look at like Coros Global's device, um, they're uh, like Vertex 2 that just came out. It's got 140 hours, like five days of battery life in full GPS mode. Um, so it's like, you can do a lot just from your wrist now. Um, but I would never recommend somebody go out in this kind of terrain without at least duplicate, if not triplicate backup for navigation. Um, just because it's, it's, you know, again, high consequence, if something it's low risk, like most likely nothing bad's going to happen to your watch. Most likely, even if a rock hits it, it doesn't break. Uh, most likely you don't end up being out there longer than the battery life. But if you do, if something does go wrong, the probability of just guessing your way out successfully is pretty low. Um, and you know, that becomes, that, that becomes high consequence pretty quickly when you're out, out in places like this. Absolutely. Uh, so, um, 
what what did this take you? You said you estimated you could do 50 days. What did it end up taking you? 50 days, 23 hours, 43 minutes. <laughs> That's pretty incredible that you, you're that darn close. Oh man. Um, what um, we, you know, I, I talk a lot with my athletes and it, it seems to be a conversation that we pass along around a lot these days. We talk about why, um, you know, we just read a book, start with, start with why. Um, oh, Simon Sinek. I love, I yeah. love his stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, was the impetus, you know, to have this, this, you know, this FKT, these, uh, these hundred peaks, did that, was that enough motivation for you? Um, to get to the the hundredth FKT, you know, first, and then you know, get this project done, was that enough of a why, or was there more behind that? Absolutely, more behind it. I mean, I even have said before in some podcasts I've been on, like choosing a, a hundred of something, like what a silly thing. Like it's just this big round number we as humans seem to love. Um, like how silly. Um, so like, was that motivating? Yes. Was it also silly? Yes. So is there more? Absolutely. And I think, I think when we want to have the highest level of motivation and get the highest level of meaning, therefore out of something we're pursuing, we both have to look to our past and think about the future, right? It's like, we constantly deal with ourselves in the here and now we make decisions for ourselves in the here and now, but making decisions that would also make the you from the past proud of what you've done and set the youth in the future up to also be proud and to be well set up. Like that's kind of a tough framework to try to think from. And for me, I know that I've always loved movement. I've always loved pushing my body going all the way back to being a little kid. I was the little kid that would show up to the skate park and take fall after fall after fall to try to master a new trick, um, to, to try to advance to the next level, to try to, you know, move toward being the best, all those different motivations. Um, and so would little kid me be proud of adult me pushing out and trying the biggest, bravest adventure he thought was possible for himself? Absolutely. And then looking beyond myself, you know, sort of, uh, again, Simon Sinek, he has another book out finite and infinite games and thinking about stuff as a finite player, you tend to think like, okay, am I going to win or lose this round? Right? Like at the end of the game, when the clock expires, did, do I have the most points, whatever those points are, um, whether it's, you know, an actual sport or like a, you know, business time frame or whatever. Well, an infinite thing is like realizing that you, you're part of a game that's going to go on beyond you. And mountaineering is going to go on beyond me. FKTs are going to go on beyond me. Uh, ultra endurance is going to go on beyond me. Right. And so to do something that moves the needle for those communities, like it's bigger than me, it becomes bigger than me. And this is one of those projects that became bigger than me. So yeah, there's this like contribution to a bigger future, right. To this bigger, like overarching scheme of things people will want to pursue. Like my hope is moving this record into the 50 day range. Isn't just for me to keep it forever. It's that now other athletes will view these, these peaks in the Pacific Northwest, these beautiful, amazing peaks in a beautiful, amazing space as something that maybe they can do. Um, Cause the previous fastest time had been 410 days. And there's not a lot of people that can dedicate over a year of their life to one thing. Um, so it's like moving the needle on it to this idea of like, Oh, now the boulders can be done in a season. Um, even if they don't want to go for the FKT, maybe they're like, oh, I want to be one of the people who's done bulgers in a season, um, right? It, it creates a completely changed way of thinking. And that to me was a cool contribution to be a part of. 
Yeah, I, like just again talking with with folks and and listening to their reasoning, I find that there's three camps um, that in you know mentally they think I really want to push boundaries. I want to find my limits. Um, and then there's like the opposite spectrum that are like, I'd like to do it for the experience and to, to go on this journey and, you know, see this and be a part of it. And I've, I mean, it's not to say that those are two separate people because I've been both. I've Absolutely. been there for pushing the boundaries and I've been there for experiencing. And then there's the middle where it's, it's both, right? You're pushing your boundaries. You know, you're going to be pushing your boundaries, but you're also there for the experience. And this sounds like a journey of both. Did you find that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I learned a long time ago. Um, I, I one example. I biked across the United States when I graduated university, and I can I, I purposely logged this memory away forever. Not that it would have been that hard to remember, uh, but I can remember when the Atlantic Ocean came into view because I went Pacific to Atlantic, and I can remember the moment it came into view, like the, oh my God, I've done it. I've pedaled every pedal stroke across the country I grew up in, like I've done it. And then in the very next moment, just kind of a, oh, that means this is over. Like this lifestyle of just pointing a bike east, east and pedaling however far I wanted is over. This simple, beautiful life. And, and I've, I've never forgotten that, that it's not about the end destination. Even when I do FKTs and there's a clock running, it's not actually about being finished. It's because I love the experience of being inside of that person who's inside of the experience where the clock is running in very difficult terrain. Like I, that to me creates sort of this optimal subjective experience. And so it's like, I was very aware as I was pursuing this record, it's like, am I doing something that the mountaineering community is going to get excited about in this grand thing? And, and is this huge undertaking, this big, it's like, yeah, I'm very aware of all that. But at the same time, the thing that matters is this is exactly how I would want to spend these minutes of my life. Um, and, and I think that's really important because if we, if we shift too much to those sort of, I like to refer to them as secondary gains, right? Like people are going to think I'm awesome and it's going to be this epic record that stands a long time and people are going to be inspired by it. Like that's secondary, right? That's secondary. If I slip too much into caring about that, you can end up undercutting your own motivation where you think, oh, I always have to be doing stuff that everybody cares about. Um, and then pretty soon you're like, well, nobody's going to care. So I don't care either. Then it's like, you stop the whole foundation that allowed you to get to a place to do something that others would care about. It always has to come back to being in love with the challenge right in front of you, being in love with the process. Um, and I think that's, you know, we hear it, we hear it everywhere these days, you know, to, to focus on the process and that you rise to the level of your systems, not your goals. Um, but it's so true. And it's, there's like, so many mental distinctions to keep track of as you're doing this stuff to not sort of end up on, on a burnout track where you're like, well, I have to do this to impress people. It's like, if you've slipped into saying I have to about your workouts or about your process, you like, that should be a red flag for anybody that's listening. Like red flag. If, if you sign up for a marathon and then you notice yourself saying, oh, I have to go run today. Like you are on the road to burnout. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next month, maybe not even this year, but at some point, you're going to be done with having to. And I, I always try to catch myself when I do that. And I still do it. Like I'll sign up for an event and I have to, and I'll catch myself phrasing stuff like, Oh, I have to get out on the bike. Cause I have a triathlon coming. It's like, no, no, no. I love riding my bike and I get to ride my bike in a triathlon soon. Like those little seeming semantic changes matter um, to remember that you're playing, to remember that you're doing what you care to do 
with the minutes you have to live. Um, I just think, I think that those distinctions are so important to, to whether you're just trying to live a healthy life or you're pursuing a goal or you're trying to do some big, insane mountain undertaking. Um, that framework of how you approach it is, is so key. Well said. And I was shaking my head the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree. That's, that's wonderful, Jason. I, uh, I couldn't have asked for a better way to kind of close here and wrap this up. Cause that was, that was well said. Um, you know, you've, you've done it hundred, hundred FKTs. I'm sure there, there'll be more to, uh, to come here. I won't be surprised to, to see another one pop up on the website here at some point soon. I don't want to ask you what that is because I know you're probably just ruminating and planning and, and this is, that's part of the process. And uh, I, I just, I certainly appreciate you coming on here and sharing that story with us. Congratulations. Once again, you know, 50 days for hundred peaks for your hundredth FKT. That's just uh, infallible. So awesome. That is just wonderful. Thanks so much. Um, there is actually, I'll just clue people in since I have the chance. Uh, there's a trailer out for a documentary, um, that's coming out that covers some of these hundred FKTs and these, uh, hundred, uh, Bulgers, uh, peaks. And they did a great job with the the capture. I mean, you think about trying to be a film crew capturing a guy climbing hundred mountains and how difficult and impossible that would be. And yet they did an amazing job. So I'm really excited to share journey to 100 with the world. And if you loved what I had to say here, they did a great job of also capturing what I care to speak into the world. It premieres in park city on October 22nd with the Alpinist, and then it will travel on some film, some uh, film festivals, and there should be a digital release in February for people that are interested. And I'll make sure you get a link to the trailer to include down below. Absolutely. It will be in the show notes. Jason, thank you. Uh, what other ways can folks connect with you? Um, I'm really easy to connect with on Instagram at Jason Hardrath. Uh, I've got my own website, jasonhardrath.com. Um, those are probably the two easiest ways. I am also on Facebook and check it occasionally. I am also on LinkedIn and check it occasionally. <laughs> I will put all that in the show notes. Gonna <laughs> <laughs> have a, a good little show notes here. Um, Jason, once again, congratulations and thank you so much. Aaron, an absolute pleasure. You have a great day. You too. Jason, once again, congratulations on such an amazing accomplishment. Uh, thank you again for, for sharing your experience, uh, your knowledge, and everything with us. Uh, what a tremendous, tremendous accomplishment that was. And um, I've got a lot of stuff that's been going on. So a uh, bit to catch up on here um, after, uh, after Jason's interview. And uh, first, um, I want to thank... My, my Patreon supporters, um, it was, uh, it's been awesome. Um, I, I was able to get a new microphone here, so hopefully the, the audio improves. I'm still learning. Uh, there's still things that I need to, to pick up to, to kind of get the, the audio quality even a, a bit better, but um, it's a start, and that's thanks to you guys at Patreon uh, that helped me uh, able to secure this microphone. Um, so thank you guys so much. Um, if, if you have any kind of support on Patreon, it's tremendously appreciated and you can do so. There's a link in the show notes as well as on my website. Uh, and that's, you know, not, not the only thing that you can do if you can't support, support in a monetary fashion. You can also uh, just really like, um, leave a review, subscribe on your favorite listening platform and share it. Uh, if you feel like you like the episode, please do. That's tremendous help. 
Um, so, but thank you again to my Patreon supporters. I'm so grateful. Uh, with that and uh, with <laughs> birthday money, uh, I was also able to get the new GoPro. Um, so I am going to try to do a lot more on YouTube. Um, <laughs> just trying to find the time to add that into my schedule. But um, yeah, look for some new YouTube videos from me. going to start doing some gear reviews. Um, I've got some new stuff that I, I purchased um, and got for my birthday. So going to do some new gear reviews um, as well as um, probably some more uh, core and strength videos and such like that. I hope you find those helpful. My YouTube channel uh, can be found in the link in the show notes, but you can also search under Aaron Saft. So stay tuned for those. I'm very excited to get my new GoPro. That actually comes in today, Wednesday, October 20th. So I'm um, really looking forward to, to getting that. And then uh, we're also going to do some uh, some filming. I'm going to run as soon as I get back to it, which is my, my next point, uh, on the Hellbender course and do a little bit of course previewing so people can kind of see um, some of the the, uh, the climbs and descents that they'll be uh, they'll be going through on Hellbender if you don't have a chance to uh, to come and uh, if you've never run in the area before. So, uh, you know, lots of stuff to come. Pretty excited about that. So with that said, uh, two things here. Uh, first being, yeah, so as I mentioned, I'm taking a break right now. Uh, after that 50K uh, the, at the Naturalist, I was just toast. <laughs> and I think I was feeling that in race day. Yeah, I did get sick, but I also... Uh, then, you know, I just did not recover and, uh, I just was kind of slogging through my runs. Um, I think my body just had too much stress. I was like, I, you know, I, I had, I wasn't able to, to lose weight. Um, just, I, I, I've kept on some pounds that I just, I, you know, no matter how much I trained and how much I did with my diet, I just couldn't seem to, to shed weight. And I think that was due to the, uh, the combination of stress uh, from you know everything I was doing from uh, from coaching middle school uh, to you know <laughs> getting my kids here and there as well as you know working uh, and uh, and running you know running's a big stress as well so um, you know some telltale signs there um, and uh, you know I had a conversation with my coach Patrick Regan and just said hey man you know, I'm just not recovering. I'm not feeling good. I just feel drained. And, uh, at first we were just kind of, kind of back off and just do some, some easy running. And even the easy running was just, it was, it was a slog. I was just like, man, it's just not there. I did, uh, you know, I did a, like I was going out for 45 minutes and I got 15 minutes in and I was like, you know, it's just not worth it. I'm just so tired. So I uh, decided to take some time off. So I will not be doing the Sky Summit 50K, unfortunately. Uh, I was kind of looking forward to that one because of the course. But, um, you know, I, I'm really, I've got my eyes set on 2022 now. Uh, Black Canyon's coming up in February. So taking this break and then going to gear back up. So um, hadn't taken a break. Obviously, it's been a big year. Um, I attempted 300s, finished two of them. Um, Umstead and Hard Rock, and then uh, I got 80 miles into Old Dominion. So, you know, been a good year. I've done a lot. I've enjoyed it. I can't wait to get back to running. Mentally, I'm fresh and feeling good. I just, you know, want to make sure my body is ready to go again. Um, and we'll see what, what 2022 brings. Uh, you know, a lot pens the lottery for Western states and such. So just a wait and see. Uh, second point there is Hellbender. Um, Hellbender, you know, a lot going on there. Um, I hope that you've subscribed, um, to the, uh, 
to the uh, uh, podcast, the Hellbender 100 um, podcast. That has a lot of updates in there, a lot of great guests, a lot of information. So if you're interested in Hellbender, make sure you go over there and uh, subscribe to that podcast and listen. Um, I released that the first and third Saturday of, uh, of the month. So um, we've got, I think, five episodes out now. And, uh, yeah, really enjoying kind of, you know, talking to folks about Hellbender and, and sharing that information. So please get over there. Uh, remember that registration is opening on November 1st. Um, the Run 828 Foundation has uh, made it so that we have 75 spots for males and 75 spots for females. So um, hope to uh, close that gender gap and get more females participating in Hellbender uh, and, uh, and just have a, a great race overall. So, you know, again... To, uh, tune in to uh, the podcast as well as our uh, our Facebook page. The um, the website's getting updated, so a lot going on there. Um, really excited for Hellbender. Um, and um, let's see. Next point, we've got um, man. Um, I I made a post uh, and a podcast. Uh, hopefully, you had a chance to listen to that last Friday um, about my gear and donating. You know, some of the gear that I have because, um, as I said in the in the podcast, I just went through my closet and was just sick by how much, you know, gear I have and will never use. So I've had some folks take me up on it. And, um, you know, this is, you know, for folks that, you know, maybe right now there's a financial pinch. Um, they just can't buy the gear. Uh, and I, I'm here. Like, I, I want to help. Uh, so reach out to me in, in any avenue, you know, uh, whatever is best for you, message me. Um, you know, it can be email, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, wherever you're comfortable, reach out to me. Or if you know somebody that is in need of some gear and, and just can't afford it right now, um, really love to help again, you know, my size, uh, I'm probably a large in most things. I do have some, some extra large stuff. Um, I've got packs, um, you know, all sorts of stuff. So just ask, uh, I am here and happy to donate and that will be at no cost to you or the person that this is helping. I will ship it for free. So uh, I ask nothing in return. I'm just grateful to be able to get these into hands to that folks will use it. So please uh, reach out to me. Uh, and that's, um, that's uh, <laughs> it's just a, uh, something that popped into my mind when I was out uh, kind of doing some trail maintenance last week. So um, yeah, just listen to the special episode last Friday. I'll explain a little bit more. Uh, other than that, my goodness, November is coming up quick. Uh, not only does registration open November 1st for Hellbender, but um, I'll be, um, in lesser news, <laughs> putting out my November newsletter. So um, if you haven't subscribed, please go over to my website, mrrunningpains.com, and subscribe. You can see all of my old newsletters, and uh, you can also uh, listen to all the old podcasts. They are archived on the website as well under the Connect With Me page. But you can subscribe to the newsletter and get that each month. I try to jam-pack it full of information, um, you know, helpful tips such that, uh, you know, reviews, everything I can think of, I kind of cram into that newsletter. So um, that comes out once a month, usually around the beginning of the month. So please subscribe because that will be coming up quickly. Uh, very, very cool. Um, and um, uh, my son, the next piece, <laughs> he just crushed my freshman um, PR in cross country. Um, yeah, course was a little bit short, but even so, uh, he won the conference meet as a freshman. So proud of him. He ran 1601, um, at a, a local 
Park. Um, I didn't think the course was that fast, but he was crushing it. So uh, just want to say congrats to him. I'm a proud dad. So just wanted to give him a, a moment and a shout out for his absolute awesome performance. Uh, and his team won uh, both male and female side. They won the conference championships. So congrats to uh, West Henderson High School. I'm excited to see what they uh, what they can do here postseason, you know, qualifying for state and such. So good luck to them. And lastly, um, I've been working on, um, if, if any of you know the USCA, U-E-S-C-A, they do um, certifications for uh, endurance athletes. I picked up the running certification about two years ago. Um, very, very in-depth and, and great um, course for coaches. Um, and even if you just want a little bit more knowledge about training and stuff, it's worth the investment. It's a great, there's, you know, 20 plus modules, pack full of information, just awesome stuff. So, um, this past, I guess it was, yeah, it was this year, beginning of this year, they came out with the, um, ultra running certification. So, um, Jason Coop, who is a, a, you know, a wonderful coach for the, um, Carmichael training systems, he, uh, helped to co-create the ultra running coaching certification. So I was really excited by that. I liked his, uh, his coaching style and theories, um, as well as, um, you know, his, his practical use of, uh, of all of the, uh, the knowledge that he has. So, uh, I was really excited to get through that. Um, I got, um, I got, I started taking the test back in like July and I just finished it, uh, the other day, October 18th. Um, so I, I, I gained another, uh, certification. I don't know. That brings me up to five or six different certifications, but not really about gaining the certifications. It's about gaining the knowledge. I am so excited to, uh, to have gone through that because I did pick up some, some new, um, you know, help, helpful, um, training, um, tips and tidbits that will help me in my coaching. So, um, filling back up here on the, the coaching front, but if you are interested in having a conversation with me, um, about coaching, you know, please do reach out. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a great time here. We are at the end of the year. You may be taking a break and thinking about gearing up for 2022. Great time to have a conversation to see if coaching is right for you. I may not be the right coach for you. Uh, I can certainly appreciate the, the folks that are shopping around. Uh, you know, I've had a few conversations lately where, you know, people were kind of feeling out what they, uh, what they were looking for in a coach. And, you know, again, I may not be the right one, but, um, you know, it's worth conversation. And, uh, just so you know what you're looking for and what different coaches offer. So uh, you can kind of find what, what's going to work best for you. So a um, lot, you know, a lot there. Um, man, I, I, like I said, a <laughs> lot going on right now. Super excited for the fall. It's been beautiful. Been taking my dog out for a walk and just enjoying these cool, crisp mornings, uh, doing a little extra trail work on the side. Uh, it's just you know, a great time of year. So I hope you're enjoying it. I hope everything's going well. For those of you lining up anytime soon, I know Rim the River's coming up. I wish you guys the best of luck. I hope you guys have some great races out there and are enjoying. So until next time, my friends, keep running.